The Tampa Bay Lightning even up the Eastern Conference Final Plus. The Canucks add a new player to the organization. It is Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Your home of the Canucks and the Stanley Cup playoffs. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks insider Thomas Drance, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Avenue Machinery. Dot C A. Drancer? Yeah, we're gonna live. Ahead. We're gonna live watch a Blue Jays game, right? That's what we're gonna do. <laughs> That's what we do on Canucks Hour, right? <laughs> welcome we to welcome Canucks to Canucks Hour. Hour. This is uh, we're going to live watch the Blue Jays the yeah. way uh, you can live watch Steve Dangle <laughs> watching the Stanley Cup playoffs. So welcome uh, baby, to a very Blue Jays centric. Maybe we'll get some uh, some Bobochet plate discipline takes in here. <laughs> and yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see at the very uh, least. Obviously, that's not going to happen. Don't change your dial. Yes, we're worry. going to go deep on Oman. We are. I was also wondering, just off the top of the show, I was thinking about this last night and this morning. What what compliment can I pay to a Canucks player today that will inexplicably infuriate a subset of listeners after we got people really fired up by saying that Bo Horvat was legitimately in consideration All for right, Team let's, Canada? Let's, let's go. So, like, what, 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 let's, what let's can kick I say it. that will really just outrage people, even though it's nice? Let's kick Let's kick back and forth. Let's kick it back and forth, because right. I've got a few. Ready? <laughs> All right. Uh, do you want me to start you up? Do you want me to start off? Tanner Pearson is a market value contributor. Yep. He he is living up to that contract and is a genuinely useful top six piece. So that one was one of the ones on my list. Like okay. Tanner Pearson is good. Tanner Pearson can be in your top six. And, oh, yeah. And, and you can be a really, really good team. That's, sure. that's absolutely one that uh, some people don't like to hear. I mean, I, I always go to the big names as well. Like uh, I, I said this when it was happening. Elias Patterson was playing at a heart trophy level in the second half of the season or a near heart trophy level. In the second half of the season. If he keeps that up for a whole year, he's going to be in the Hart Trophy conversation. One more here. Hit us with one more. We'll see. Tyler Myers, bona fide top pair defenseman. Tyler top Myers. pair! Ta- Tyler Myers, top pair defenseman. Top pair! And led the Canucks in five and five minutes. He's a top pair defenseman. I don't know what you want. Uh, what, what, else you, what else can you say? He, All right. He, he played top pair minutes. He was effective in top pair minutes. Tyler Myers, top pair defenseman. I love Sorry, it. Sorry, and I'm not saying these aren't takes we believe, right? These are takes that are complimentary but will make people <laughs> mad. Tyler Myers, top pair defenseman. There you go. All right. Tyler Myers, going to make Team Canada. <laughs> <laughs> okay, slow down now. Slow, <laughs> slow down, Drance. Let's not go crazy. But, okay, uh, okay. If any of those takes make you really, really angry, or just you like them, or whatever, any thought you have, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative is at Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. There were times this year where I was getting trolled. Like, early in the year, I was getting trolled really hard by people who were like, you said Brad Hunt is good. And it's like, yeah, he is. And then, of course, he was. And that stopped. Yep. Yep. So Brad, Brad Hunt. Brad, Brad Hunt, Hunt was a smart signing. Brad Hunt is good. There you go. Another one for you. <laughs> uh, see, I think that one people really warmed up to by the end of the year. Yeah, and he's, such Brad, a, he's easy got to cheer for. Yeah, easy got to like. So I, I don't think and that he's one's clearly uh, an NHL level player. I don't think period. that one's ticking anybody off. Um, you mentioned uh, the Niels Amon signing. I do want to get to that, but before before we get into that, uh, the Canucks news of yesterday that happened, we should talk about what we saw from the Tampa Bay Lightning and the New York Rangers last night, because to me, that was just the quintessential Tampa Bay Lightning playoff victory. I compared it off air just before we came on the air to a boa constrictor wrapping itself around its yep. prey and just slowly suffocating the life 
out of it. That's what the Tampa Bay Lightning did to the New York Rangers last night. Uh, it was, I think, a 15-6 high danger differential at 5-on-5. I mean, <laughs> the Rangers couldn't get anything going 5-on-5. Um, so here we're now up to the Tampa Bay Lightning have 59% uh, control of expected goals, all situations. That factors in the, the Rangers' dynamic power play. Uh, at 5-on-5, five five, they have 35 more scoring chances than the Rangers do in four games. Uh, what we saw on Tuesday night from the Tampa Bay Lightning was remarkable for how much it should have been expected. And I'm going to leave it there because I'm going to save my uh, I'm going to save my more loaded commentary sure. for for when it's done. But, Fair enough. But, but yeah, um, it's, uh... the Rangers still like look. The Rangers still have Sturkin. They still have an elite power play. They're going back. They have two home games. They have two more, uh, three more chances to win two games. And so this, you know, anything can't happen over twenty five games, but over three. And I don't know why I just went the Simpsons um, guy who works every teenager but guy. Over, but over three games. But over three games, anything can happen. Shesterkin could absolutely steal two of the next three. That could absolutely happen. Though the Rangers' power play, they could get a whack of opportunities on home ice and win two of the games that way. Um, you know, this is far from over. But you got to like the way that Tampa has controlled this series. And I thought the second period in particular – Tampa Bay started skating at half pace. Like, they started slowing down their game and imposing their pace, their preferred pace, on a Rangers team that is faster than them. And once you started to see them doing that with, with you know, and combining their puck management and just sort of waiting and probing and then they get the Kucherov breakaway, that that looked as decisive as a win can look at this time of year. And and so we'll see how this plays out. I'm not I'm not by any means saying that the Rangers are done. I just you know anything can happen in three games. But Tampa looked an awful lot like the way I expected this series to look uh, we're last getting, night. We're getting lots of texts in about Tyler Myers, by the way. But uh, <laughs> so so that was the winner. That, that was, was the, the winner. winner. Although we got a couple in about uh, Tanner Pearson as well. So good. Yeah, the, so we nailed Pearson, it. Yeah, we we, we, we nailed the assignment. Nailed it. Perfect. Um, is anyone Tampa. is anyone taking me seriously about Tyler Myers being on Team Canada? No, okay, no, that's don't bad. worry, don't worry about that one. <laughs> that, you you aimed a little too high on that one, yeah, Drancer, enough, for people enough. to really take the bait. And the other thing about Tampa is, you know, Andre Vasilevsky didn't have to be the busy. You know, he didn't have to stand at his head, but he made some big saves when he had to. Right? And it's like that's that to me he, is the classic. Did, that they could have played 180 minutes and the Rangers wouldn't have scored five on five. It's the classic formula for Tampa, though, where. They're going to control the game like they did, and then they also have, you know, I've called it like the ultimate insurance policy, right? Even if there is a breakdown, even if there is a slip-up, they still have Andre Vasilevsky back there that you have to worry about uh, beating. And again, he looked like that version of Vasilevsky. You can just get in your head and frustrate you quite easily for a seven-game series. And uh, yeah, I, I mean... They were already, I think they were already, uh, Sat and I were talking about this on Canuck Central yesterday, even before the game last night that they won, when they were down 2-1, they were still the betting favorites to advance in that series, which is remarkable, and then now, with all the momentum... They're favored in Game 5! With the injuries to Strom and Heedle, and they're going to be game-time decisions, it uh, it certainly looks like we could be headed for that Tampa Bay Lightning-Colorado Avalanche final. You can't miss your shot to kill that team, and the Rangers did. 
Like up, up you, to nothing in game three, right? Like that was it. You had to find a way to win that game. You could not let them off the mat, whatever cliche you want to use. You know, it's and, a, and it's they blew a, it. They're a vampire movie character. They're, they're a vampire movie come to life. So it's like, you know, it's not enough to, it's not enough that you've, you know, taken a chunk out of them. Steak needs to go through their heart before you can have any comfort. And it just feels like they missed their shot. But they could also win. You know, Shesterkin makes 56 saves and they win on home ice. Very, very much in play because anything can happen in three games. Anything can't happen in terms of a non-elite team winning the cup. All right. So let's go to the uh, Niels and I might need your help with the pronunciation. Oman. Oman. Yeah. That's 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 okay. Oman. So Niels Oman, who the Canucks signed out of Sweden yesterday to a two-year entry-level deal. Of course, a former six-round pick of the Colorado Avalanche, 22 years old. And, uh, you know, there's not – I'm not going to sit here and pretend to really break down his game and, and what he can contribute. I know you've talked to uh, Patrick Alvin, so we can get some insight uh, on what the Canucks see from him there. Well, we can and, maybe go and, to our, our guy Chris Faber and, as well. Yeah, who, who watched – how many games of Oman did you watch last night, Chris uh, 20, Faber? 22 games last night, just shift by shift. I didn't go uh, watch like the – well, he was on the bench. You have a problem, man. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a sleeping problem. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Like, that, that don't is... get me wrong, I admire it. I just we have to we have to um, step Amen. one. Step one to getting right is to admit our faults. You Twenty two put... games of Oman. You got to put the work in from um, from Chris Faber. My goodness. For me, just the big level takeaway is it's another example of just following up on things they've consistently said as a priority. Right? right. And they have said over and over again, we need to add depth to the organization, and we're going to look at NCAA. And college free, or sorry, NCAA and European free agents. We haven't really seen it on the college side, but here you go. A European free agent not signed by the team that drafted him becomes available, and the Canucks get the deal done. And he, it, it's going to be interesting to see where he plays this year, but certainly what we've heard from Jim Rutherford in the past is part of the pitch to these players is, hey, you're going to come and have a really good chance to make the NHL team, right? We're yeah. going to give you an opportunity. So, it's not a guarantee that he suits up for them, but again, it's just adding that depth and giving yourself legitimate options to play for you to suit up at a, at an affordable price in your bottom six. Well, and here's the other thing. If you're going to invest the way that the Canucks are in their player development department, like these are the swings you need to take, and a big test is going to be can you get stuff from these swings? Can you make Arshdeep Baines a player? Can you make Oman a player? And in both cases, you're sort of betting on a brain above all else, which I, which I like. I, I mean... In, in the case of both Baines and Oman, you actually have one really crucial commonality, which is that anyone talking about their games, the first thing they're going to praise is the high-level hockey sense, right? In Baines's case, you, you're probably looking at a guy who's going to need to iron out his skating a bit. In Oman's case, you're talking about a kid who's going to need to iron out his skills, his skill level. His skill level needs some refinement. Uh, that's not to say it's without, he's without skill. Uh, good hands in tight uh, is one of the reports that I got from a scout who was pretty impressed with his performance at the World Championships. This is a senior pro scout working for uh, an Eastern Conference team. Um, but the skill level in terms of the NHL details, in terms of the passing in particular, in terms of the on-ice vision, that, that's going to be the work that, that Oman's going to have to put in. Uh, Baines, it's going to be with the skating. His, his intelligence with the puck is through the roof. So... In both cases, though, you know, you're, you're beginning to see a template emerge. Uh, small sample. We'll, we'll have to see more. But you're beginning to see a template unfold, which is this organization's taking big swings. Well, big swings. They're taking swings on guys 
uh, unsigned uh, sort of, you know, free agent players out of both the CHL and out of Europe who have hockey sense as sort of the, the primary trait, the primary almost NHL level trait that they're having. Now, hockey sense alone doesn't make you an NHL player, right? I always, I always say you need a couple things like, you know, a, a good, a good example that we've seen play out in the Canucks organization over the past few years. Uh, if you, if you compare Brock Besser and, and Reed Boucher, right. Uh, in addition to um, like the main thing that Besser had over him was the shot. Yeah. Right. Or, or sorry, they both had the shot. The main thing that Besser had was Besser had also high level intelligence that allowed him to overcome, you know, a, a, a skating, not deficiency, but certainly not a strength of his game, where, whereas Boucher couldn't overcome that. Um, you need, like, one thing plus, right? So these guys are going to have to add a little bit more. In, in Oman, though, the Canucks are adding a center who's not going to win draws, certainly not early in his career, but big body, really long, like a lengthy presence on the ice, high-level hockey intelligence, probably his most NHL-ready trait. And then a really good first few steps. Like a really, he's a really strong skater. But one thing that I that has been reported to me was that he lacks great pace, not naturally relentless. So there's a difference here between having um, a high speed and a good motor. Yeah, if it make, if that makes sense, right? You can go to from zero to sixty quickly, but do you, are you always going? Are you always buzzing? And I think that's sort of the work that Oman's going to have to put in to develop in that area. So overall, we're looking at a, a pretty intriguing gamble here. The guy was a draft drafted by the Colorado Avalanche, didn't sign, came available, Canucks pounced on the opportunity. Patrick Alvin has watched this kid play since he was 16. Alvin, of course, has close relationships with Lexans, where, um, excuse me, where Oman is playing or played last year. And uh, Alvin obviously played for that team too in his Swedish professional career, uh, very familiar with the player. Uh, once once he came available, the Canucks worked to pounce on the opportunity. So, big test for Canucks player development, and also a little bit of a proof of concept in that Canucks player development uh, and the impact that they could have on Oman was a big part of the Canucks pitch to him, right? All so, right. that's another part of this that's worth factoring in, is the investment you've put in there. The fact that, come come play with us and you'll get to work with the Sedin Twins, you know your your issues passing. We got some guys. <laughs> we got some guys. They know how to they know how to zip it around. Um, that's part of the pitch now, and that's sort of I guess a part of the um, you know changes in in player development that maybe we didn't talk about enough last week, which is the role that that plays too in the Canucks selling themselves to these types of players, and and of course that's going to take an even sort of larger focus this week as the Canucks take a second interview with Andre Kuzmenko at some point. Yeah, so, it's an interesting way to look at the player development thing, because it's not just making helping you to make the most of what you have, but it's a recruitment tool as well, right? It's a, hey, we're going to put you in a position to really maximize what you can do. And, you know, hopefully then, if you take those next jumps as a player, uh, hopefully you're doing it in the Canucks organization and you're adding value to them. But from a player's perspective, it's also just, hey, maybe this could be a launching pad where I can help grow my career. And, I, and this could be something really... Uh, that helps me down the road as well if I get those reps and those opportunities. Well, if you talk to player agents who worked with the Canucks during the Gillis-Gilman human performance era, right? One thing the Canucks used to tell players, right, is they were like, we're not going to offer you as much money. <laughs> we're not going to offer you as much money. Um, we're not going to offer you as much term. 
But what we're going to do is we're going to use you in a scientific way that extends your career. You're not going to make as much money this season, but you're going to come out of this being ready to play more years as a result of being with our organization than you will be with anyone else, right? And, you know, some player agents remarked, like, they never really heard a team pitch like that. <laughs> and, you know, at the time, it was completely foreign, but it was one of the things that they tried to use as a, a recruitment edge. So every edge you can develop becomes an edge you can sell, too, right? Every every amenity you have to on offer is a recruiting tool in addition to being whatever that amenity is and whatever it provides in terms of real value to your organization. And I think Oman's sort of the first example we've got of the Canucks utilizing, you know, the twins in their new role in particular in this way. And I, I thought that was an interesting thing to hear. And I would expect that they'll lean into that again this week in their meetings with, with Kuzmenko, you would think. And it, it, it's a similarity. Well, it's a tie in with the Kuzmenko thing as well is, and we've talked about this, how, Teams can't outbid each other on money, but what they can do is outbid each other on opportunity, right? And say, we will give you the greatest opportunity to set yourself up for a better payday in one year's time. And, you know, Kuzmenko's not going to be the only free agent who is ever in that situation, right? Like, that's a pitch that can come up again and again. Oh, yeah. If you kind of put that infrastructure in place and... I don't want to say necessarily put your money where your mouth is, but back it up. Show that it actually works out. Show that you can follow through and help players in that way. The other interesting thing um, is the point you make about the hockey sense, right? And that being the kind of, you know, if you did the Venn diagram of Arshdeep Baines and, and Niels Oman, that's where they meet. They both have really high-level hockey intelligence. And that's one of those things, if you're just talking about, okay, how do we develop a player? That strikes me as a pretty good building block to have. You know, I know in, in, in football and NFL scouting, they always say you can't teach speed, right? Well, I would say in hockey, like, you can't teach hockey IQ. You, you can help people study the game and break down tape, but at a certain level, I'm kind of skeptical of the idea that you can take a player who doesn't think the game at a high level and turn them, turn them into a really above average hockey IQ guy. Whereas with some of the more physical skills, I think you can start with somebody who has that understanding and say, okay, and we're going to help you develop your skating or, or we're going to help you develop your passing technique. But if you don't have the underlying base level of hockey IQ, like that's a much more difficult thing to develop, I would think. A much more difficult thing to develop. The other thing, the uh, there's one other one. Uh, there's one other one. There's a uh, there's a uh, longstanding Canucks employee who no longer works for the team, and and his um, and not like a recent like I'm talking about like 15 years ago he stopped working for the team, but um, you know a, a big a big uh, was a huge impact during the Pat Quinn era, and. The line is, uh, you can't teach guts, except the word that he uses for guts is far ruder. <laughs> and it's something I always think about when watching hockey players, right? You can't teach guts is, is, the, is the main one. But yeah, you're right. You can't teach, or it's certainly hard to teach, that high-level hockey awareness. Now, Oman, you, you brought up the uh, ability to outpay, outbid your, your opponents in, mm -hmm. in recruiting players. The Oman contract is a really fascinating one. Uh, a really fascinating one. It's an entry-level contract. But there are some fascinating elements here that I want to quickly it, get for, into. For June 7th transactions, it's really fascinating. Well, but I'm always interested in yeah. this stuff. This is, this is stuff that may, maybe it only matters to me, but it matters. I swear it does. So, Oman has a deal with performance bonuses baked into it for next season, but not the year after. Okay? Which is pretty rare. He's got a little bit of schedule. It's a sprinkling. It's not like a, a ton. Uh -huh. It's not max 
Not a schedule dollop. A bonuses. It's not a dollop even. Yeah, you're you're right. It's a sprinkling, a dusting of of signing of schedule A signing bonus for next year and none the year after. Okay? The language of that contract implies and this is in fact the case that the club has basically incentivized him to do everything you can, run through a wall to try and make the team next year, right? Everything everything you can to make the team do it for next year. So there's obviously an eye toward giving him a real shot at competing to make the NHL roster. And and his deal is, in fact, set up explicitly to accomplish that. Mm -hmm. So I I love that. I mean, I just think that's an interesting way to use signing bonuses on a player who you wouldn't usually expect to sign for any schedule A's. You give him a light dusting. If he makes, you know, it's it's not something you're expecting him to hit. If he hits it, you're you're thrilled, right? You're paying an extra 82.5K to get a player on your roster. You you know, you're, you're thrilled. Should it play out like that, but you don't need it to, and you don't expect it to. I, I just think that's a little a little bit of creativity. Now, here's where the other part of this is interesting. There is a comment that Oman made um, when discussing signing with the Avalanche, which was, I either want to play in the NHL or I want to play in Lexans. Yep. I do not want to play uh, in the farm leagues. And he called them the farm leagues. He didn't, don't want to play for a team's farm team. Um, fair enough. Fair enough. The... IHF transfer agreement. Now, this is a little, this is super inside baseball. Has recently changed. So, players who are playing for IHF teams, which every SHL team would qualify yes. under that uh, umbrella, if they're under the age of 24, there's a obligation to return them to their European club team when an NHL team signs them to their first contract, uh, rather than sending them the, to the AHL. Okay, that's basically it. Now, it's a little bit negotiable, but it's not a negotiation between the Canucks and the player. It's not, you know, player doesn't have a European out clause, so he's free to be reassigned, uh, which was the true, or, or he's not free to be reassigned, which was the case for Elias Pettersson, for example, uh, Nikita Triamkin, sort of earlier. Um, this is something where the Canucks would have to negotiate with Lex Sands as well, to keep Oman over and and go to the American League. So we're not exactly sure where Oman will play. The club has incentivized him to come in and take his best shot to make the NHL roster. Obviously, that's something you'd hope to see, but you don't expect to see. You don't count on seeing. In the event that he doesn't make the NHL roster, then there's really a three-way negotiation between Lexans, Oman, and the Canucks on exactly where he'll play. Uh, not a guarantee that he'd go to Abbotsford. In fact, the the letter of the law would require him to go to Lexans. The Canucks would require special permission right. uh, and would have to navigate the relationship in a, in a specific and and you know pretty prescribed way to get him to Abbotsford. There's a possibility that he'd spend next season in Sweden. So, just want to clarify sort of that circumstance as the as the Canucks understand it uh, and as the rules uh, pertain to Oman particularly because that IHF transfer agreement has recently been amended. It's not something I even was fully aware of as I was working through the story yesterday. And if I'm not fully aware of it, I figure our listeners don't understand that either. Uh, I, I bet you Faber didn't even understand that. No, but after you told me that, I went and did some research. Just out of Swedish players, 32 players in that position played in the AHL last year. So, I mean, it's like uh, you but bring up... But it's really new. Yes, very new. So, I guess... We'll see what the impact is. It's just to me, like, I think that the 22-year-old thing has been around for a couple years, though, with that, right? Yeah. So I feel like even, you know, just looking at this list, I'm seeing a lot of Swedish players under 22. So I, I don't 
Like, I think it's probably something that they're going to have to have a conversation with, but I feel like the SHL is always just like, yeah, sure. You know, like, take them. <laughs> well, well, they but get they money. They to. get money. Yeah. There's transfer yeah. There's transfer agreements, transfer fees that yeah. are paid to SHL team. The big difference is it's like, everyone was like, can you get Pod Colson out after one year? It's like, hell no, it's no, the KHL. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The no. SHL, like, I, I, I feel but, like. The, and there's no enough. transfer agreement between the KHL yes, and the exactly. NHL, which is also part of it. And, um, and money makes everything easier. But you also couple the actual rules with his stated preference not to play in the AHL that's another interesting factor now is there a cha- is there a possibility that because Abbotsford is just down the road from Vancouver does that make it a more appealing situation for him but who Col- knows Denver has their uh, sure. farm team in the right? same city so too. who knows so um, they don't have the Sedins out there on they it. don't have the twins well and and let's be real let's be real you take your best shot to crack this lineup or your best shot to crack the Avs lineup yeah which 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 are you uh which are you handicapping as, as uh, more likely for yourself if you're a self-aware player? Yeah, and just uh, to that point, it suggests to me from the Canucks' perspective that they are going to have openings in the bottom six, that this player can at least be, uh, not certainly not a guarantee, but at least be a legitimate competitor for those spots. They, that's an expectation. That's what partly what the signing well, says to me. And, sure. and the last part is, you know, because of his hockey sense, because he's defensively reliable, because he's got, you know, NHL-ready size, on day one, an NHL-ready skating stride on day one. We already saw it at the World Championships. Like, Linus Carlson couldn't crack the lineup. This guy kept getting more ice time as the tournament went along, right? So that's uh, that's a good attribute to have in terms of handicapping whether or not a guy can make the lineup or not. Like, he's already played on a senior men's national yeah. team in a competition that means everything to that country, and over the course of the tournament carved himself out a bigger and bigger role, in part because of how reliable he is. I mean, that's the profile of, of the type of player you'd look at and say, hey, that guy could really be a dark horse bottom six camp. We're, we're actually we're going super late here, but just the last point I want to make, and this is something that Jim Rutherford and Patrick Albine had mentioned, talking about bringing in players from elsewhere in the NHL, but the idea of finding guys who you can get more out of than they're getting, than, than you're seeing wherever they're currently playing, right? And as I said, that applies more to, hey, we're signing somebody who was, you know, a seventh defenseman for their team, and they're going to come in and be, you know, a fifth defenseman for us. But just the idea of identifying players with certain traits that you can bring into your system and you know it's going to amplify their positives and perhaps downplay their weaknesses. And maybe they wouldn't work out as an instant NHL or everywhere, but you think maybe you have the system and the framework to get the most out of them. And I wonder if there's something similar at play here with Niels Oman as well. All right, as I said, running super late here. We do have to take a quick break. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Keep your thoughts coming in also don't forget subscribe to the canucks hour podcast on apple spotify google or wherever you get your podcasts and if you like the show please do leave us a five-star rating and review as well more canucks talk on the other side it's the home of the canucks sportsnet 650 tyler myers bonafide top pair defenseman Welcome back to the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz here with you. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. Y'all just missed uh, some more of the live watch the Blue Jays with with Drance and Dodd experience here coming out of the commercial break. We're fired up. (laughs) We are all very, very fired up. Um, 
abbreviated final segment of the show here because we went long in the first segment. But one thing I did want to talk to you is uh, daily face-off NHL insider, regular contributor here on Sportsnet 650. Frank Saravalli was on with myself and Satyar Shah on Canucks Central last night. And one of the Canucks tidbits that uh, Frank slipped in there was, okay, not a lot necessarily happening, not a lot of news coming out around the Canucks and contract extensions and all of that. But one thing he did say was that the Arizona Coyotes have called the Canucks and, and made it known that they would, be, they would be very, very interested Absolute in taking on some contracts. Oh, would they? Yes, which if you know anything about how the Arizona Coyotes are currently operating and have been for a little while now, not a surprise at all. You can't do it. I, I imagine you, they've you made some calls it. to Ken Holland as well along those lines. Oh, yeah. Everyone. But, I'm sure they've made a call to everybody. Like, yeah. everybody, send us, send us your trash. We are the laundromat. We will launder it for futures for sure. I mean, and by the way... You know, I'm critical of the Coyotes' existence, but Bill Armstrong's doing this exactly the way he should be, right? Yes. Like, this is good stuff from the GM. From a hockey perspective, it makes loads of sense. Yeah. From an existence perspective, it makes none. And I think if you're the Canucks, having done the OEL Garland deal uh, last year, you can't do it again. You can't You can't give the Coyotes more to get out of mistakes. Um you can't. I, I just at some point it's got to stop. What what I think my recommendation would be: wait a year, pay Tyler Myers a signing bonus so that Myers only has one million in salary left, and then call the Coyotes and be like, "Oh, you know how 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 are your revenues after a year uh, playing in a three thousand person stadium? Because um, we've got a legit top pair defenseman, a bona fide <laughs> top pair defenseman for uh, for one million in salary. How, how, how about what what futures that you've gathered from all the other teams desperate to shed their mistakes? Would you pay us for that? Yeah, that's the deal to make. Uh, don't do anything with them this summer. Plus, what's your bad contract? Well, that's Dickinson? the thing. What's the contract that? Okay, we can talk a lot about inefficient money that the Canucks have, and sure, that's fair enough. But what's the contract that fits into the mold of the pure salary? Yeah, cap would dump? pay to get yeah, out of. We're paying to get rid of it, and we're not expecting anything back. In return. Like, what, what? that's not Myers. That's not Pearson. That's no. not any of the nope. you know, big-name forwards that we talk about. Like, would it be OEL? But that's not, that's completely that's not, off and, the... And not happening. Yeah, that's just completely out of reality. So that's not happening. So I guess it's Dickinson. Somebody mentioned Pullman uh, in the text no. message inbox. No, the, the organization likes Pullman. That's the they thing. They don't view him that way. And with Pullman, I think it's certainly, hey, let's bring him back, put him in a role in a system that suits his uh, talents better, and, and maybe you try to build his value. They like Pullman. It, they, right? they straight up like Pullman as a player. They like the speed. Uh, they think there's something there. If you're if you're Jim Rutherford, too, like you're looking at Pullman and you're seeing new NHL Ron Hainsey. He's Ron Hainsey, but he's right-handed and he skates better. I mean, that's that's what you're seeing, and... You know, you're you're comfortable with that. Plus, they really like the character. They they think highly of Tucker Pullman. Tucker Pullman just wouldn't be viewed as a bad contract to shed by the organization. Full stop. Period. Yeah. And with Jason Dickinson, okay, it's 2.65 for two more years. It, you don't love it, but that's not the type, type of deal that if you shed that salary, all of a sudden your cap outlook completely changes. It's, right? All of a sudden you open up this whole new world of possibilities, right? It's, it's easy to buy out. It's super easy to buy out a year from now if you think there's any chance he rebounds. Uh, and there's, it, you know, it's a low enough valuation with a, a little bit enough, like with low enough term that you could do a problem for problem deal. Yeah. I mean, think about think about this one. Um, Warren Fogle had a disaster first season for the Edmonton Oilers. Could you do Dickinson for Fogle? Uh, that would be just an example off the top of my head from a team whose cap-friendly page I was recently looking at. 
Um, but there's other examples around the league. There's a ton of them, in fact. So you know, I, I don't, I don't view, I don't view Dickinson as a problem. Like Dickinson is a problem to figure out, but it's not a contract to add futures to to shed. You don't have to trade a third round pick to get off of Jason no. Dickinson, right? Like maybe that's what another team would ask to take him back, but you're, there's no impetus for you to do it. Right and now. I think it would be more than that. Sure, but whatever. You know what I mean, right? There's no. What's the pressing thing? that the Canucks would be able to take care of if they did that deal for Jason Dickinson. To me, it's just you bring him back. You know, as you said, there's a buyout possibility down the road. Maybe he rebuilds some of his value. Maybe you find a, a hockey problem-for-problem problem trade that you like. But There's better routes. The Canuck, the, the, the attached something to trade Jason Dickinson would make sense if the Canucks were kind of in the contender tier right now, right? And they're like, oh, man, this guy's yeah. not contributing to us. We need to get that contract off so we can use it on somebody who is going to contribute. Totally. Us. They're not the in that position. Aren't there. No, they're not they're in not. that position. So there's no way, uh, there's no Des- reason for them to do that right Despite now. the fact that a lot of people in my mentions are telling me that the Canucks are, are better constructed than the Edmonton Oilers over the last 24 hours. But, uh, yeah, so it goes. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Some interesting questions coming in uh, to the Dunbar Lumber text line. You can get yours in. This one comes in from Carmen in Chilliwack. He says, can you please explain how Michael Furlan's contract can be weaponized by teams like Vegas as I can't figure it out? And that's something we've mentioned in passing it a is couple times. The, it is complicated. Yeah, the, the, the potential value or the potential asset that the Michael Furland deal who of course is on LTIR uh, because of his injuries how that could be used by the Canucks and and how that could be valued by other teams in the offseason the key is is that you need to take money back you can't do Furland for a second round pick and then have that team turn around and throw him on LTI and get the full 3.5 million dollars in LTI benefit you need to shed the contract too so are the team that's going to get the LTI benefit needs to shed a contract too they need to clear the space first because you can't create cap space for an injured player it needs to be money out lti deal in to make it all work you have to get below the cap to add the player right and then no but it's more complicated than that even if you get below the cap you can't get the full cap benefit unless you send money out right right right. so the uh, i'm not going to get into the mechanics of exactly how it works partly because i don't understand it myself uh at least not at, at a level where i'd be able to give a compelling enough explanation but the template is the seabrook Tyler Johnson deal. The Seabrook, Seabrook on LTI works for Tampa Bay because they shed Johnson's $5 million, right? So the way that the Vegas example would work is like you, Vancouver takes on a bad deal from Vegas. Like, I don't know, a bad deal that Vegas would be looking to move. Evgeny Dadanov? Yeah. <laughs> uh, is, did that happen at some point? <laughs> um, but you take, a, you take on a deal that Vegas doesn't want. Um Give them Michael Furland, and then they get the cap benefit from losing that deal and, and putting Furland on LTI. And Furland gets the benefit, too, of going to a low taxation state in his last year of, of earning an, an NHL salary. So that would be the sort of uh, way to benefit from it. The benefits of moving Furland are through the roof. The Canucks would have to take money back to do it. I think it's a no-brainer. I think that's like the best way that this club could use their remaining cap space, particularly because it would create additional cap space. Yeah. Right? You you're, you're at, you enter next season with Furland on the books. You're in LTI, right, which means you can't toll daily space over the course of the season, which actually further hamstrings your cap flexibility come deadline time, which also limits your ability to solve other people's problems. Like if, if you are in the playoff mix and want to add, Having shed Furlan this offseason gives you the opportunity to remake your team 
in a pretty fundamental way. If you are poor and want to sell, then having Shed Furland allows you to create the cap space to help solve other teams' problems and maximize your return. Either way, a huge benefit, uh, particularly because the Canucks now have their AHL team local. And then here's the last one. For, for several of the last few seasons, the Canucks have had an overage. They've been carrying overages on a regular basis. They've literally been exceeding. It's not just that they've had cap problems. They've been exceeding the salary cap with penalties rolling over year after year for a team that's never been close to contending. I mean, it's, you know, I, I don't mean to get fired up, but it honestly is boggling that anyone has defended what we've seen in the last five years considering that level of ineptitude. It honestly is offensive. I don't know how... Ownership tolerated it for so long. Anyway, I'm going to calm down. My blood pressure is going to recede, <laughs> and I'm going to explain something, which that is... Was, that was just an incredible thing to witness in person, I have to say. Uh, it's just so... I, it honestly just makes me mad. Like, it just makes me mad. It's so... It's so unacceptable. It's so beyond what could possibly be acceptable. Anyway. The Canucks are going to go into the season with a couple of players who could play really prominent roles for them who are going to be subject to potential performance bonuses. Uh, Vasily Podkolzin. Mm-hmm. You're hoping Vasily Podkolzin emerges as an everyday top six player for you, right? You're hoping that Niels Hoaglander, you know, seizes the reins and is like a high-impact, you know, third-line player, second-line player for you this season. You're hoping that Jack Rathbone cracks the lineup and plays a regular role and actually puts up some points. Like, you're hoping that some of these guys are every bit as good as, you know, honestly, you're hoping the guy you take... 15th overall has a Cole Sillinger like rookie season. Probably not. That's probably too big, but you're certainly hoping on, on Hoaglander and you're certainly hoping on, um, on Pod Colson. And if you land, uh, Andre Kuzmenko, you're certainly hoping on that too. And landing Kuzmenko, that's going to be full schedule A's, maybe even some schedule B's, which are really big. Like the, if you get some schedule B's, then you're talking about million dollar cap holds, not, you know, um, 125,000 200, here, yeah, yeah. Uh, 250,000 there. So this will help the Canucks clear cap space for years to come if they can get out of this deal. Well worth doing. Well worth doing if there's any way to accomplish it. The other interesting thing about those deals is, you know, you, let's just go with the Evgeny Dadunov example, right? Obviously, Vegas very motivated to move that contract, as we all saw during the season, and it might make total sense for them to say, you know what? We don't want to pay Dadunov $5 million this year. That's not an efficient use of our money. We're going to do this deal, get the Furland uh, contract. We can put an LTIR, use that money elsewhere. Well, if Evgeny Dadunov comes to the Canucks, though, there's a completely legitimate chance that he plays well enough that come trade deadline, he's a legitimate asset for the team to move at the trade deadline, right? All of a sudden, you retain some salary, and that becomes more assets you can generate out of that kind of deal. So if you find a team that's willing to play ball and give you something, as you said, they have to shed money in any potential deal like that, well, it's not just that you're getting you know, the cap space that, to open up for all the benefits you listed. You might be able to flip that player down the road and get even more assets back in return as well. Yeah, uh, or, or you get a good player. Like the, the guy who stands out to me on Vegas is uh, they've got Dylan Coughlin. Dylan Coughlin, local kid, uh, BC kid, right-handed defenseman, a little bit undersized, uh, but not... Super undersized. You know, he's one of those guys who's, like, listed at 5'11", but you know that like, just over 5'9". And, you know, uh, good good shot, super competitive, NHL-level wheels, smart. Uh, I mean, that's the sort of piece, like, if you could get a piece like that who can help you right away and per- yep. potentially in the future, the 
you know, who, who's a right-handed defenseman. He, he's probably not your Hughes analog, but could he be a guy who matches really well with uh, Ekman Larson, especially considering the defensive orientation of his skill set, the speed? Could he be, you know, uh, what, what Stetcher was to Edler for, for Ekman Larson? Like, I could see that. And, and that would be, you know, for me, a, a really good return. So uh, there's all sorts of uh, opportunities that arise there. I, for me, that's like the move I think the Canucks should be, um, you know, I, I, I sort of handicap them as having somewhere like four or five, six-ish million in cap space, somewhere in that area, depending on what else they do, without carving out additional space. Taking back a deal and, and moving off Furland, for me, would be the most responsible use of that cap space this offseason. And the thing that I think would signal to the rest of the league that, you know, there's adults in charge here now. One last question here quickly from the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. This one's from Brandon in Vancouver who says, any news on Niels Hoaglander? Uh, do you guys think they would move off on from him this offseason? I wouldn't do it if it were my choice, but he clearly wasn't a fit with Bruce, who they are sticking with. He could be a great trade piece. And, you know, what I'll say is the idea that he's not necessarily a fit with Bruce Boudreaux, young players go through ups and downs. I, I think it's way too early to say, oh, Niels Hoaglander doesn't fit with Bruce Boudreaux. There was some tough love. There was a healthy scratch, you know, low minutes, all of that thing, all of those things. Those happen sometimes with young players who are still learning uh, to be, you know, consistent NHLers. So that, to me, does – I don't immediately draw a line between that happening and, oh, they're looking to move off Niels Hoaglander. I think it would take a like player at a position that the Canucks feel they're needier at. Um, you know, at the end of the day, this is an organization that wants – young, skilled players, and Hoaglander fits the mold of the type of player they're looking for more of. Uh, that was the reaction I got when I started running down the Hoaglander rumors. Uh, what I will say, though, is that if you return a player like Hoaglander, and this is the last year of his entry-level deal, so this is a ba- this is a contract year for Niels Hoaglander, and the opportunities remain the way they were over the last 57 games, something's going to come to a head. No player wants to be in that position, particularly yeah. having shown that they can produce at the NHL level to, to have their minutes reduced in a year that means an awful lot to them from a compensation standpoint. Like, that's the that's the question that you have to ask. And it's not a question you have to ask of, of Niels so much as of Bruce. Like, do you think he can play? Um, because if, if, you know, is it worth getting out ahead of it before, you know, his value diminishes further? would sort of be the risk to evaluate. And I mean, I don't see it being an active priority for the club, but I do think you have to be very, like you have to have your eyes wide open about the risk of bringing back a player that the coach isn't going to give significant opportunities to um, and, and the impact that that could have on his value. It would be an absolute catastrophe for, the, for this club to not, you know, first of all, I, I like Niels Hoaglander and I think the world of him. I think there's teams around the league that would value him as a, you know, a top six forward, right? Um, if you end up soaring that value, that would be a catastrophe. Like, that would be really a really unfortunate uh, thing to occur. I think at the very least, he needs to be given and will get an opportunity to prove himself and reestablish that value and that level of performance, right? And I think that will happen. That opportunity will happen before there's, as you said, unless there's an incredible deal, you know, a like-for-like player, young player on ELC with significant upside. If something like that comes along, sure, maybe you see a deal. But 
I don't see it as a situation where they're looking at it and saying, oh, man, we need to find a way to move Niels Hoaglander, right? He's still a very valuable asset. I think he'll be given more opportunities to succeed here with the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. That's going to do it for us today. More on the way here on Sportsnet 650. The People's Show with Bick Nazar and Randy Janda is coming up next. You've got it on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.